turn, um, turn to Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to get there in a minute, but you can go ahead if you have your Bibles and, and go there. I have a dear friend with whom I have worked in the music industry since 1985. And honestly, of all of the professional musicians that I've had the privilege of working with in the last 35 years, he has the best set of ears of anyone that I've ever known or ever worked with. And so what do I mean by that? Well, those of you who are musicians will understand what I'm saying when I tell you that he understands pitch at a level that is so uncanny, I've never seen anyone be able to identify pitch the way he does. He can only tell you if something is sharp or flat. He can tell you how sharp or how flat it is. He knows how to, you know, that can be um, talked about in terms of sense, C-E-N-T-S, sense or hertz. He can tell you exactly how many cents or how many hertz some, uh, something, uh, an instrumentalist or a vocalist is sharp or flat. And it's, you know, it's disgusting to me after a while that he's that good, got ears like that. I've learned a lot from him. I really have. Um, and then, honestly, when we analyze, and we put him to the test, we would analyze what he would say, and then we would throw it up on the computer where you're able to do that and see how far sharp or flat something was, and he was always right. Whatever degree he said it was, it was, it was always right. So he's um, always accompanied me if I was doing an orchestra session somewhere, whether it was in Nashville or most often in, in Europe or like in Prague, and he's the guy I want to have with me because I trust his ears. His ears will catch in the studio control room what my ears might miss conducting out on the orchestra floor. Um, and we have literally done, since 1985, we've done dozens and dozens and dozens of projects together. So you, you can imagine in that many years and that much time spent together, we've shared many meals together. And obviously, theological, our theological positions have been a part of those uh, discussions and conversations. And he is the person in my life that I am closest to who is of the Reformed theology. He would be what most of us would call a very strong Calvinist. If you know anything about five-point Calvinism, you know that they believe very strongly in the providence of God. Say that phrase with me, the providence. However, a Calvinist would basically believe that we have no free will, and they believe that everything that happens is the providence of God. On the other hand, those of the persuasion of Arminianism also believe in the providence of God, but would propose that we do have a free will and that we are perfectly capable of resisting the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. If I've ever heard my Calvinist friend say it once, I've heard him say it a thousand times. Almost every time we were together, we were together, something would happen, and he would say, it's the providence of God. Dan, providence, providence, providence of God, providence of God. And while I may not agree with him on the subject of free will, he and I most certainly do agree that God has a plan for our life. Can I get a witness to that today? And that there is something called the providence of God. Say it again with me, the providence. And not only that, but we agree that our God has an amazing way of ordering our steps aright to accomplish His will, His way, and His purpose in our life for the glory of the name of Jesus. Anybody glad about that today? Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 11. And I want to read you just a couple of verses, and then I want to show you what stood out to me in all of this. Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 2. John the Baptist 
who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, I'm sure all of us have had the experience of picking up the Bible and reading it and know what it is to just have something leap off the page or jump off the page at you. We've all had that. And sometimes you read long periods of time and that doesn't happen. But then I had this experience when reading this this week that something jumped off the page uh, to me from these two verses. But it was not a word, nor was it a phrase. It was the punctuation of verse 3. What stood out to me and literally jumped off the page to me was the question mark. And what this underscored for me is something I think we all face at one point or another in our Christian life, which is this. Those things which we have become so sure of, those things for which we in the the past would have used an exclamation point, now have a question mark. And haven't we all faced that? Something particularly in your early Christian life, you were so sure, so absolutely sure that you would put an exclamation point there, but somewhere along life's journey with all the stuff of life that you walk through, now that exclamation point has become a question mark. Case in point, this John the Baptist whose question we just read, should we keep looking for someone else? is the same man who, just two years earlier, in John 1.29 and in John 1.36, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. With an exclamation point. If you looked at both of those references in your Bible, John 1.29 and 1.36, they are completed with an exclamation point in both those places. And then somehow... We get to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 that we just read, and discover that that exclamation point is gone, and it has been replaced by a question mark. John has somehow migrated from declaring who Jesus is to questioning who Jesus is, irrespective of the fact that John is the one prophesied by both by both Malachi and Isaiah, that he would be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. It is almost as if we see the prophet becoming an agnostic. As I mentioned, it was just two years from the declaration with an exclamation point to the statement with a question mark. How many of you know a lot can happen in two years? Let me see your hand. A lot can happen. If you just looked in your mind's eye over the last two years of your life, Just look at what all has happened. You'd be surprised probably at how much. How many of you know a lot can happen in two days? It's possible. But I think, church, there is a clue for us here this morning in verse 2 of what happened and why it happened. If we're trying to figure out how he went from declaring to questioning. Because in verse 2, he says, we hear this, John the Baptist who was in prison. So it would seem to me that John's circumstances and everything that he's going through has changed everything for him, and he doesn't even know that in just a few days he's about to be beheaded, and you know that story. But pain, challenges of life, and difficult circumstances changed everything 
And that's the point. What you're going through, pain, depression, being in the hospital, losing a loved one, in a challenging marriage, in debt, can change, behold the Lamb of God, to God, do you even care? Are you even real? You did it for others, but why won't you do it for me? And your song changes from, you are stronger, you are stronger, to, Lord, I don't even know if you can. And I don't even know if you will for me. And for John, the circumstances that seemed to change everything was the fact that he was in prison. Now, let me read to you the words of the psalmist David from Psalm 139. David says this, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Some versions read every moment was laid out before I even took my first breath. God knew that day was coming for John the Baptist. and God knew that a day was coming when you might be in pain, in depression, in the hospital, in grief, in a challenging marriage, in debt, whatever it is. And God is saying to you, I knew every day and I had it recorded in my book long before it ever happened. And I will just add, God saw it, God recorded it, and thank God He is able to bring you through it as we just heard the choir sing this morning. Because Nothing is taking God by surprise. Nothing. I may have used this illustration before. I I couldn't recall for sure. But if I have, please forgive me. But it fits so perfectly here, you're going to hear it again. There was a young pastor of a little storefront church in the inner city. Though this young pastor would not have chosen the name for the church he was pastoring, nevertheless, he inherited the name and he just went with it. It was called the Almighty God Tabernacle. Almighty God Tabernacle. Not a bad name, but that's what it was called. Almighty God Tabernacle. One Saturday night, he was working late in his office at the church preparing his sermon for the next morning. When he decided to then call his wife before he left the church office and come home so she would know when he was leaving and when to expect him at the house, just being a responsible husband. It was about 10 p.m. at night, and he called his house phone, but his wife didn't answer the phone. He let the phone ring and ring and ring many times, thinking it odd that she she didn't answer. He waited for a few minutes, and then he pushed redial to try the number again. And again, it rang and rang and rang and rang with no answer. And so he just thought, well, he wrapped things up quickly at the office and he made his way to the house to discover that everything at home was just fine. When he got home, though, he asked, he said, why, why didn't you answer the phone when I, when I tried to call you? And she said, well, what do you mean? The phone didn't even ring. And so they brushed it off as some sort of fluke and they went on their merry way. Well, the following Monday morning, just two days later, The pastor received a call at the church on that same phone that he had used to make the call the Saturday night before when he tried to call his wife. The man on the other end of the line asked the pastor, he said, why did you call me on Saturday night? When the pastor was completely confused, the man went on to say, you called my phone about 10 p.m. two nights ago, Saturday night, and you let it ring and ring and ring. 
And I know it was this number because I have caller ID on my phone. And the pastor then remembering the mishap and trying to reach his wife that night. Oh, I'm so sorry. He apologized for his mistake in dialing and explained to the man what had happened. Now remember, the church phone had called this man's home phone, which had caller ID. Keep that in mind. So the man told the pastor, he said, well, that's okay. That's all right. But let me tell you my story. Two nights ago, on that Saturday night, I was planning to commit suicide. I had the gun loaded. It's in my lap, my hand was on it, and I was ready. But just before I was going to put the gun to my head, I decided one last time to say, God, if you are there and you don't want me to do this, then give me a sign that you are real. It was at that precise moment, he said, my phone began to ring, and when I looked at the caller ID, it said, Almighty God. Now, here's what you got to understand about that. There weren't enough characters on his caller ID to say tabernacle. It just said, Almighty God. And so the man had to decide, there must be a God in heaven who knows every day that he has recorded in his book. So here's what we have to ask. How did the pastor call that wrong number? Why did he dial the very number of the man who was about to commit suicide? How was that man's number maybe one digit off from the pastor's home phone when he was trying to reach his wife? Why was the church called Almighty God Tabernacle and only the letters to Almighty God showed up on his caller ID? I'll tell you why. We call this the providence of God. What does that mean? It means this, church, that God uses every person that you meet, every path that you take, every situation that you encounter, God uses that to get you to the place that He wants you to be. In other words, here's what I want us to understand today, God wastes nothing. You didn't hear me. <laughs> I wish I could communicate to you the depth with which I feel this and have experienced it in my own life. God wastes nothing. Say that with me. God wastes How many of you were here last week for Gloria Gaither? Let me see your hand. You heard her on Sunday morning. <clears throat> she was wonderful on Saturday night, terrific on Sunday morning. But I got to tell you, it was the personal time that Becky and I were privileged to spend with her, particularly hosting her for lunch after the morning service. <clears throat> that she uh, talked to us. Uh, I, I wish I had recorded every word. Just such wisdom coming from this woman and insight about the church and ministry and so on and so forth. But she came up with a line sitting at the lunch table that has resonated in my heart all week long, and it's what's triggered this entire message today. She was talking about her children and her grandchildren. Any good grandmother would do that, right? Talking about her children and her grandchildren and the path and the journey that seems to have befallen each of them and where they are today. And the basic idea is, you know, and, and also referencing other young people that she knows, she said, you know, some people go get a degree in this and, and then they accomplish that and then they find out that I really don't like that. I really don't want to do that at all. 
and you've known people like that, and so then they may go get another degree. And I think this may have happened to some of her kids or grandkids, and, and they got another degree, and then maybe even a third one, and then they got this job, and then they got that job, and then this didn't work out, and that didn't work out. It was very easy to look at any one particular component of that person's life and consider that part of it to be a waste. And then she said, but it is so amazing to me to see how God takes all of the components of our life, all of that, what he has caused us to walk through, and then weave it together. How many of you know God works all things together for good to them that love God? And she was talking about that. That was the, the, the tone and the tenor of our conversation and then she said, here's a line that you need to never forget, Dan, and it is this. She says, the longer the line of preparation, look at that, hang with me here. She said, Dan, the longer the line of preparation, the more likely it is to intersect the line of opportunity. Now, you muse on that just a second. One person liked it. That's great. The longer the line of preparation, the more likely it is to intersect the line of opportunity. But what if the preparation was too short? What if you circumvented all of the appropriate preparation in your life? What if you decided to bypass the preparation? Look at that. Do you see any intersection there? You do not. But then for most of us, the line of preparation looks like this. No, am I telling the truth? It's really not very pretty, is it? The line of preparation, now, now look, you start off, and then guess what? There's a setback. And it almost could look like you were back worse than you were before you started. And then maybe you get a little wind in your sails and, and, and you take off and you get a little boost there. And then all of a sudden there's another setback. And, and it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. But look how many times it intersects the line of opportunity. Are you seeing that? We have another name for this where those lines intersect. And we call that the but God moment. Say that with me. But God. It is God superintending the affairs of your life. Accomplishing his will to get you where he has designed for you to be. To your destiny in him. To whatever he has called you to accomplish. And here's the thing. You're not going to like this part, okay? He might use a traffic jam. He might use a train, the train that runs right back over here just east of us, that is crossing, which delays your arrival. It might be a weather pattern that alters your course or delays your air flight. Nothing is random with God, and God gets you to where you're supposed to be because if you believe what the psalmist said that we just read in Psalm 139, he has scheduled every moment of your life before you ever even took a breath. And he has recorded it in his book. Some people call it coincidence. I call it, but God. How about you? Some people say that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. I don't care what you call it. 
I just know this, that God is unbelievably interested in the smallest affairs of your life and my life. Somebody say, thank God. He knows what you're going through today. He knew that disappointment was coming to you. He knew that your trial was going to be there. He knew the pain that you would experience. He knew that John the Baptist would be in prison and that the exclamation point that you walked into that situation with would turn into a question mark. It's just that we are human, and when it's your time to walk through a trial, it is so easy. When it's my time to walk through a trial or a difficulty, it's so easy to forget that God has scheduled this and it is recorded in his book, which means whether it's a gunshot, whether it is cancer, whether it's all the stuff that comes with old age, nothing gets out of God's sight. He knows the day he has, a sovereign God has, has preordained the day you would be born, and he knows the day he's going to call you home. That's why I love the words I've quoted often of the 18th century evangelist George Whitfield, who says this, I'm immortal until God calls me home. Only God, dear friend, can determine the day of your death. Do you believe that today? Only God can determine the day of your birth and the day of your death. I've told you in the past how I used to be a white knuckler when it came to flying in an airplane. There were reasons for it in my young adult life until a fine pilot here in the church many, many years ago helped me understand a few things about the whole flying process and what pilots are doing, and, and it really was a great help. And I, I, I got over that by and large. And then one day I was having to take a little puddle jumper. Who knows what a puddle jumper is? A little prop plane. Don't we have jets today? But you know, why do we still have prop planes? The little prop plane, because I was speaking at a music conference in Kentucky, and the place I was going, the only way in was through a prop plane, hallelujah. And it was very, of course, it was very turbulent. And that little prop plane was flopping and flipping and flopping and bouncing all over the sky. And have you ever noticed how many people start calling on Jesus when the flight is turbulent? You hear his name from the front of that cabin to the back. You hear his name a lot. I actually heard his name so much on that flight, I thought, this is a Christian flight. Wonderful. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody knows the name of Jesus on this flight. But with all the issues that I'd had with flying in the past, I want to tell you on that day, I sat back and relaxed because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord had given me a word for those music pastors that I was going to speak to later on that evening. And so I knew, and I was very confident this plane is not going down. It is not going down. I'm, and I'm sorry if this sounds arrogant to you, but I have to tell you, this is the thought that ran across my mind, that I ought to stand up and tell all these people who were shouting out Jesus, who are panicking, that they should be happy that I'm on your plane today. You got that? Because God has given me a word for music pastors that was burning in my heart and he's not yet finished with me on this earth and this plane is not going down until it lands safely on the ground. Made me think about Paul when he was on the boat in Acts chapter 27. Paul was on this boat with all these prisoners when suddenly, you know, the storm hits. You've, you've read the story and they're all shouting, we're going to die, we're going to die, oh, we're going to die. And Paul said, hold on, hold on. God said I'm supposed to go to Rome, and because I'm on your boat, 
everybody gets to go to Rome. Because I'm on your boat, everybody gets to live. So you better thank God that I'm on your boat. And that's why I was thinking that day, you better thank God I'm on your plane because I'm going to get to Kentucky today to preach this message to encourage a bunch of music pastors who need it tonight. So guess what? You're welcome. Hallelujah indeed. I wish life was full of only exclamation points, but it's just not. Sometimes that plane does shake a little too much. Sometimes the boat tosses and turns to a level of discomfort. And when life gets scary, we can all reach that point of saying, oh God, is this it? Is this it? And we all wish the Christian life was just one victory after another, one step up after another. But we all know that's just not the reality. It looks much more like the last picture that we just showed. Some days it is exclamation points. Other days, it's question marks. When we're in prison or on a bumpy plane, it's question marks. When we're in church, it's exclamation points. It goes like this. We can go, you are stronger, you are stronger, you are stronger. Oh, God, are we going to die the next day? You are stronger. Oh, God, are we going to die? But how does this cousin of Jesus start to doubt him? I mean, you do remember this is John the Baptist. He's Elizabeth's boy, right? And he's doubting, the cousin of Jesus. So those doubts do show up. I mean, what do you do when your spouse wants a divorce? What do you do when your doctor says you have cancer? What do you do when you have no clue where your kids are? What do you do when there's not $10, not even $10 left in your checkbook? And the exclamation points have all turned to question marks. When you read the life of Joseph, there's so much to be learned. I'm going to turn quickly to Genesis 37 and start toward a closing here. But that's a journey to get there. And it may look like that last picture, but I'm going to start toward closing. Because I want you to just see with me, there's no finer example in Scripture that I can find that had a zigzag journey than Joseph. <clears throat> At 17 years of age, Joseph has a dream that one day people are going to bow before him. People will pay him homage. And then he decides to express this dream to his brothers, which was really a dumb thing to do, honestly. He'd always seemed to be dad's favorite. They hated him for that. You know the story. And now they hate him even more for telling them his dream. Look, look with me at... Uh, Genesis 37, verse number 2. It tells us that Joseph was 17 years of age when he was pasturing or tending his father's flock. And then in verse 5, we begin to read about this dream that he had. Let me just kind of tell you something that is, that is interesting when looking at Scripture. When the Bible mentions the starting point of something and, and it attaches the age of the person to that starting point... You can almost always see that the Bible will probably mention age again at some later point in the story. They, because the Bible wants you to know they were this age when this started and then this age when it came to this point or this completion. Well, that, that happens in this story for sure. And I'm going to let you find it on your own when you read through it this afternoon and not now. Okay? Here's the clue, though. The Bible mentions how old he is when the dream, when Joseph's dream comes true. He has the dream at 17 
And then you have to read through all the zigzagging chapters and follow that long line of his preparation. Until then, 13 years later, he comes to his but God moment or his moment of opportunity and the intersection takes place. Listen to me carefully. Some of you know, listen, hear me. Some of you know full well what your calling is. You've, you've told me. You've, I've heard you talk about it to others. And you even feel confident that you have heard from the Lord. Can I just offer you a, a cautious word of warning? And that is this. Just because you are confident of your calling, don't go get a website just yet. Don't go have your business cards printed up and don't go get your own bottle of oil. Not just yet. Just because you know what you're supposed to, be, to do, the next step is not necessarily to do it. The next step is to start the process of preparation for it. You don't just jump in and start doing it. Because one night in a service, which was glorious, you got some word that you were to do this or be a prophet or whatever. No, the next step is to start the, pro the process of, of preparation. To start walking down your long line of preparation, which, by the way, may not and probably won't be a straight line. It will probably be a zigzag. You may feel called to the ministry, and very confidently so, but watch out. Just because you dreamed it, just because you thought about it, just because you feel like it's in your heart, and I'm not doubting your calling, I'm just saying, buckle up, dear one, because you are now starting to head down that long line of preparation to get you to that place that the Lord has revealed to you in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. That way before they start calling you pastor so-and-so or prophet this or prophetess this, you've got to get a few hundred miles to travel before you get there. You don't get it also because you just sent in some magazine to get ordination papers and now you're on your way. So now you can call yourself preacher this or prophet this or apostle or elder and bishop, whatever title you want to put. You better realize, dear one, and boy do I know what I'm talking about, there is a journey that God has to take you through to get you to your destination. You don't get to arrive at your destination and bypass the journey. It does not work like that. People are going to bow before me. Joseph had the dream. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? He can see it in his mind's eye. Okay, Joseph. And he's almost as if you hear him say, and I'm ready for it right now. Start bowing now. Well, he's ready all right. He's ready to start the zigzag of his crazy journey of preparation. And in Joseph's case, it starts with his very own brothers. Genesis 37, verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in, into one of those, these cisterns. We can tell our, our dad a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of all these terrific dreams that he has about people bowing down to him. But when Reuben heard of their scheme... He came to Joseph's rescue. And he said, well, let's not kill him, he said. Verse 24. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern or into the pit. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So just as they were sitting down to eat, wow, look at the hardness of their heart. They've just thrown their brother in a pit. There's no water in it. They have no idea what's going to happen to him. And they decide, let's go ahead and have lunch now. 
So just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of, cam- of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by, by killing our brother? His, his blood would just give us a guilty conscience. How about instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. I mean, after all, he is our brother. What a twinge of morality we have here, right? We'll throw him in a pit and sell him as a slave, but we're not going to kill him because we're good guys. It's the way that kind of sounds. He's our own flesh and blood. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, Ishmaelite, Midianites, almost synonymous, when they came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, and they sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. That's about the equivalent today to us of about 5 to $10 in today's cash. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. The providence of God is this. There is a dream, and all you know is the end. You don't know the process. Having the dream, listen to me, having the dream is the exclamation point. But that dream, dear one, is going to drag you through lots of question marks before it gets you to your destination. Joseph had no idea that the fulfillment of the dream was going to be to end up in Egypt. He did not realize that it was in Egypt that he would put on a robe. He didn't realize that it was in Egypt that his brothers are then going to bow before him. Play that scene out in your head with me just for a moment. What do you think is going through Joseph's mind when 13 years later his brothers are now bowing before him? Can't you imagine him thinking, this is it. This is the dream. It just got fulfilled. And I can almost... Imagine hearing him inwardly say to himself, and you know what? It was worth it all. It was worth all that I went through. And now, I am second in charge of the entire planet. And when I think of all, I had to go through to get here. But what strikes me about the providence of God and how God orchestrates events is this. Every dream, every vision, every hope that you have will have a Midianite moment. It just works like that. What do you mean, Dan, a Midianite moment? Well, it goes like this. A Midianite moment for you might sound like this. Why do I have to work with him? Why do they have to be my neighbors? I I don't want to smell what they're cooking on their grill every night. Of all the people in this company, why do I have to be in the cubicle next to her? And she's so loud and she's always on her cell phone. She doesn't even do her work and she's getting paid the same thing I'm getting paid. Or, or it might sound like this, how did they get hired? Why is he my boss? Or why is she my boss? I'm so much smarter than they are. Midianites, it's people that God puts in your path that are going to get you to the place he wants you to be. But you would have never, ever, ever picked them to be the ones to get you there. Does anybody have any Midianites in your life today? For you see, in Joseph's dream, a limo was supposed to pull up, hallelujah, and drive him down I-35 with no traffic, 
or construction delays. And he's just waving at folks along the way. Never did he think he was going to be shackled and led like a slave. Don't you know who I am? I am Joseph. And I had a dream. And there's Joseph going through this stuff and had no idea that the painful moment that he was walking through was getting him one step closer to the exact place where God would fulfill his destiny. And instead of complaining, church, with, why am I here? Who do you think you are? You're just some Midianite. Get me out of these shackles. He has to realize that just because you have the dream does not mean that you get to choose how to get there. God chooses for you. And it will be a caravan and not a limousine. Ravi Zacharias says it this way. He says, God does it the way he wants to. God trained Moses in a palace and sent him to a desert. But he trained Joseph in a desert and he sent him to a palace. Dear one, you and I don't get to choose the curriculum about the fulfillment of what God has placed within us. God gets to choose that. You may be in the hands of Midianites right now taking you on some dusty journey to Egypt. But in the midst of that, you can lift up your head even if you have shackles on your hands and feet, even if you're eating the dust from the road, even if you're in pain. Do not forget, in the midst of that, you are on your way to the path of preparation of the place that God has designed for you because God wastes nothing. Brent, come and help me get out of this. Come on. Show of hands. Who of you, like Joseph, feel that you have a caravan of Midianites that have come to take you? Come on, show, show me your hand. Who of you feel that way? Well, here's your choice. You either complain about it, whine, bellyache about it, how tough it is, how tough your circumstances are, or let me give you another way this can play out. It would be like this. You could say, God, you scheduled this. You scheduled this. This was recorded in your book before I ever even took a breath. My plan and my agenda looked completely different than this. But God knows exactly what he's doing. For church, hear me, every journey is the maturing process. Every journey is the maturing process. And I don't care how ugly or painful you, or uncomfortable your journey is today, God is not going to waste this, dear one, within you. And I know some of you have some really uncomfortable stories. You're in some very, very difficult situations. I want to promise you today, God is not going to waste this in you. He's taking you from the dream to the fulfillment of that dream. For to get the dream without the journey is to get position without character. It's the journey that makes you what God needs you to be for the fulfillment of that dream He has given you. God looks at you and says, you know what? I'm looking at him. I'm looking at her. This is going just perfectly. You've been lied about. You've been betrayed. You've been forgotten. Yep. 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 She's getting close. He's getting close. You're about to graduate. Your brothers betrayed you, Joseph. Potiphar's wife lied about you, Joseph. 
the prisoners forgot you. Guess what? You get an A+. And when that caravan of Midianites put those shackles on you, it just moved you one step closer to what God has designed for you. I asked you just a moment ago, who of you feel like a caravan of Midianites have come after you and you raised your hand? I want you to just simply stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. If you raise your hand, just stand. I want to pray for you. If you raise your hand, come on. If you say, yep, that's me. Balcony, main floor. I just want to pray. So this morning, Lord, we're going to say, God, we thank you for putting those people, that person, right there where you have them. Yes, the people that we struggle with. You've put them in my life. Today, God, we're going to dedicate our Midianites to you. And there are plenty of Midianites in Fort Worth. There's Midianites in Keller. H-E-B has lots of them. They're everywhere. There are no short, there's no shortage of Midianites in Tarrant County. God, your providence has chosen this path. Before I ever took a breath, you ordained my days. God, your providence has chosen this city. Your providence has put me in the neighborhood I'm in, in that building, in that house, that apartment. Your providence has put me in that university or in that office. Your providence has put me in this church. Your providence, God, has brought me here this morning. And in spite of all the things that I'm facing, in spite of the Midianites who are trying to shackle my hands and feet, I'm going to declare this morning that God is good and God is faithful. And so now, God, we're asking you to take our question marks, oh, Lord Jesus, and turn them back into exclamation points. Do it for the glory of your name. For, Lord, we know that you have scheduled this day. It was recorded in your book. We know that nothing takes you by surprise and that you waste nothing in our lives. You are committed to getting us exactly to the place that you have foreordained, that you have planned, that you have predestined for us, for us to be. And we thank you, O oh God, O oh sovereign God, that you are the one who's in charge. So, Lord, here's what I'm asking. I'm going to bring it right down to where we live. To tomorrow's inconveniences, we're going to say, God scheduled this. Long lines, flight delays, DFW traffic. God scheduled this. The boss is cranky today. God even scheduled that. Thank you for the Midianites that are going to get me to Egypt. And I walk from this place today. Let us walk from this place today, God, with a renewed understanding and appreciation for the providence of God and that you are with us every step of the way, guarding, guiding, protecting, strengthening, giving grace and just what we need at just the right time. So, Lord, we declare this today as we remind ourselves and say to you, we are yours to command where you lead us, whatever the journey is, whatever the path. And we look forward to that but God moment where you will superintend every aspect of what's taking place in our life. We give ourselves to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, and the church said, everyone standing, please, everyone standing. Hallelujah. Can you just put your hands together and say, Lord, we receive your word today. Come on, do it right now. <laughs>